So thank you for being here, Alex, and welcome to the Hoops and Huddle podcast. And today we are discussing the Atlanta Hawks season preview. I'm really excited about this episode because Alex is, let me put it this way, the Hawks propaganda is live on his feed. He loves his hometown Hawks, loves them, loves them, loves them. So tonight we get to dive into the roster, talk about the front office, talk how does he feel about ownership? You know, how does he feel about his roster's chances this year? So Alex, why don't you say hi to the people and uh, we'll get going and jump right into the roster. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Malika, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, Excited to talk about some Hawks basketball tonight. I got high hopes for the season. Uh, Very high hopes, high expectations. So I'm ready to get into it and break it down with you. Sounds great. So um, one of the things I looked up before we got on, before we got on, you guys have um, favorable, you guys are not at the second apron, you're below the first apron by 9k, it looks like, and then you're below the second, the super apron by 22k. So you're not like, right there at that tipping point, you guys could technically make a move to get um, you know, get another player, you know, like that can help you guys. Um, but let's talk about the roster itself. Like, how do you feel? Like, you, I know you love Trey Young. So let's start off talking about, no, let's start off, let's start off talking about how you feel about the roster in general. And then we could talk about some of the special highlight players on the team. So give me your highlights. Uh, like your starting five. How do you feel about who are your starting five? Name them. And how do you feel about the strength of them in the East? Okay, yes. In terms of starting five goes, we got obviously Trey Young at the point. He's the head of the snake. He is the the oil that makes the engine run. We got DeJounte Murray at the two guard, mm-hmm. uh, who's kind of a hybrid, as you know, Malika. You know, he can play both the one and the two, but we have him in the two for this I team. Love him. He's mm-hmm. one of my favorite players, to be yeah, honest. He's the dog. I, lo- I love DJ. Uh, and then we got most likely DeAndre Hunter, if he's still on the team, which I expect him to still be on the squad when the season starts. He would be our starting three, whom, by the way, he is better than RJ Barrett, Malika, and for all you other listeners out there. Um, so <laughs> this DeAndre is your Hunter. time, so we're not going to, you know, this is your time. So, um, oh, absolutely. So, yeah, we got Hunter at the three. We got now, the four spot, this is where it gets a little dicey because, as you know, we lost John Collins this offseason. Yep. We made the trade yeah. with, uh, with the Jazz. Finally. Like, that's been talked about for years now. I know, right? I know. I feel like every year we've had the trade rumors, and this was the year that it finally happened. So, JC, mm-hmm. you know, best of luck to him in, in Utah. Nothing but, you know, uh, well wishes for him. I loved him when he mm-hmm. was on, on our squad. Really great guy. But the starting four, it's, it's going to be one of two people, right? Uh, it's going to be either be the more veteran player who he's not even that old, to be honest, because Sadiq Bay, this is would only be his fourth year in the league. So Sadiq Bay could possibly be at the four if Quinn Snyder wants more shooters around Trey and DeJounte, then we could elect uh, Sadiq Bay at the four or who my personal favorite would be for this starting role would be Jalen Johnson, the third mm-hmm. year player mm-hmm. out of Duke. I call him. You know, Ben Simmons, if he actually, you know, had a pair, right? So he he was better than Ben Simmons. He is the second, you know, coming of LeBron James because he is that point forward archetype, right? He's 60, okay, okay. He's 30. Uh, he can dribble. He can pass. He can defend. He can rebound. He can do it all, right? Uh, the only downside to Jalen Johnson's game is he's not the best three-point shooter. So we're going to have 
some question marks around the spacing if he's the in the uh, starting lineup, but everything else that he brings to the table for all the things that I just mentioned with the the pass, the playmaking, uh, being able to lead in transition, the defense, etc. That's what makes him so special. And then at the five, we're going to have most likely Clint Capella. Um, I know there's been a lot of trade rumors around if Clint's going to get traded, most notably right. to Dallas Mavericks or if he's going to stay on the squad. And I figured there would have been a move made by now. We still haven't seen a move. So my guess is he's going to be back and he's going to be, you know, the returning starter as he's been for the past three years. So yeah, uh, Clint Capella. So th- that's our starting five. Um, in terms how they of- stack up in the East. Yeah. How do you feel they stack up in the East? Honestly, how they stack up in the East, like on paper, I think they're really good. I think they have, you know, with that starting five, I think a top, you know, six roster, like a top six seed potential uh, with that starting five. Um, I don't think they're as good as Boston, uh, Milwaukee. Obviously, they have Giannis. So, but, but outside of Giannis, they don't really have anyone that eye popping. Uh, Chris Middleton is aging. Brooke Lopez is aging. Uh, who, but, who, but Chris Middleton could be healthy this year because he's, you know, he's dealing with injury issues. So, We'll see what he looks like. I mean, they don't have a quote-unquote sexy roster, but, you know, like this year with a healthy Chris Middleton, and, you know, they were embarrassed out of the first round last year. So we'll see what Milwaukee looks like this year. They could be – they could be – I mean, they they could still be good, right? Any, any team that has Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to be, you know, in, in the running yeah. every single year. He's just yeah. – uh, but yeah, like like I said, like all the other complimentary players like Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, mm-hmm. they're all a lot older players, you know, past their 30s. So uh, we'll see how they mesh. And like you mentioned, Chris Middleton is coming back healthy, yeah. but you never know with his age. I think he's, what, 33 now? Um, coming off an injury, it's not like if he was, you know, 25, 26 anymore. So it might take him some time to, to acclimate again, but Outside of that, you know, the Heat, obviously, they just made the finals, but they're never really that good of a regular season team. They took mm-hmm. it up, you know, come postseason time, but they lost some key players too, Gabe Vincent and a couple of other guys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we definitely got potential to be a, a top six seed with, with that starting five for sure. How do you feel about your bench? Um, like, do you think you have I love it. I love strong it. bench? And if you do have holes, where are your holes on your bench? So to answer your first question, yes, I love the bench, right? So in terms of the bench play, um, most notably, we got Bogdan Bogdanovich, who I'm sure you've yeah. been getting up with the World Cup. He's been a yeah. top, you know, 3-5 player in FIBA uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So we got him coming off the bench, who in my uh, hopes is is he's going to be in contention for six man of the year. Uh, so we got Bogdan Bogdanovich. We got the best backup center in the entire NBA. That is not an exaggeration, Malika. Onyeka Kongu is by yep. far the best backup center. Uh, and he's coming into year three, so I have really high hopes for him. Um, he has all NBA defense potential, really. Uh, I know I like to you know, push a lot of propaganda, but I'm telling you, Onyeka Kongu has all NBA defender potential once okay. he hits his stride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we got Sadiq Bay, right? It, whether if Sadiq starts or Jalen Johnson starts, I think Jalen Johnson is going to get the starting nod. So that means Sadiq would be coming off the bench. He's a really, really reliable three-point shooter. He's a really good hustle guy that gets a lot of offensive rebounds for us. And he's just kind of um, a microwave shooter off the bench for us. Uh, as you know, a couple years ago, he had like, what, 50 two points uh, in a regular season game one year uh so 
he he can score now. Uh, and then we got Patty Mills, the veteran, the the Spurs championship player, Patty Mills, who's a vet for us. He's going to be coming off the bench playing some spot. I have experience with, I am familiar with the Patty Mills experience. Let's just say, um, you know, like don't, you know, you guys are in a strong position and with the guards. So thankfully for you guys, you won't, will not be relying on Patty Mills at this age. He's not, He's not the Patty Mills from San Antonio. Those days are long gone. He'll have some sparks, but he is not that dependable. Um, and and the Nets experience, it was very much not exactly one you write home about. But he has some bright spots. He just can't. You can't be depending, you know, oh, on him like that. But long as you're not, then he's a spark. Then that's great. Yeah, and we're not going to be ever depending on him unless. Mm-hmm. You know, God forbid one of our, uh, you know, Trey or DJ get injured. But yeah, I, I I see him playing maybe five to seven minutes a night coming off the bench. Uh, yeah. Situations. Um, he's a, still a reliable spot up three point shooter, as we saw in World Cup play this year. So he's still got some. some he's a turnstile on defense. He is. He is. He sucks on defense. He's small uh, and he's old. So but, you know, mm-hmm. if he can hit a couple threes for us off the bench, we'll be good. And another player that I have not mentioned, I'm saving the best for last, potentially A.J. Griffin. Yes, sir. Yeah. AJ Griffin, the second year player out of Duke. He had, um, you know, he was 19 years old last year and he had he almost had a 50. What is the size? What is A.J. Griffin's size? He's like six, six and a half, six, six and a half two two fifteen ish. OK, so OK. He can play the two or the three for us. Um, okay. Yeah, he's a really, really reliable three-point shooter. He shot like 38.5% from three as a teenager. Mm-hmm. He had multiple 20-plus point games for us coming off the bench. And he had um, two game winners in his rookie year, too. So he's got that clutch factor in him now. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, our bench is really nice. Our bench is super solid, in my opinion. I think, you know, we have two or three bench players that could start on half the teams in the league. So we got depth. That's pretty strong. Mm -hmm. And if you were to pick an area, because I'm look, you guys have a lot of guards. If there was an area where you feel like there's a weakness or a trade could be made to improve the team to be a solid top six team in the East, what would that, what move would that be in terms of position? Oof. Um, at this point in time, or so you're asking yeah. where what where would I try to improve the most? It would yeah. be probably yeah. like a backup, another backup big right now, right? So we have mm-hmm. you know Clint and Onyeka who both play the five. They can't play anything else. But um outside of Jalen Johnson, we don't really have a true power forward now that John Collins is gone. Uh Sadiq Bay can play power forward a bit, but he's more best suited at the three, in my opinion. Yeah, he's a, to me, he's a three. Yeah. yeah, he's a little undersized. He's only six seven, so um, preferably I would not want to see him at the four as much. So, yeah, we would really need like another backup power forward. Uh, we'll mm. see. We'll see what happens. I could see some situations where Sadiq plays the three and DeAndre Hunter actually plays the four. He's a little bit bigger than Sadiq Bay. He you know longer wingspan. He's six eight ish. Uh, so that's that might be viable. Um, I was on the Pascal Siakam trade earlier in the offseason. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah, yeah. 
I think with Pascal and, and Trey and DeJounte, I think that could be like a top three seed in the East, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. At this point, from what I've heard, I heard we had a deal done, but Pascal really wants that Supermax eligibility. And as you know, if he leaves Toronto, he can't uh, be eligible for that Supermax. So he basically told our front office, look, if you trade for me, I'm basically going to sit out to kind of scare teams away. Uh, so that's unfortunate because I think we could have done some really special things with him. But with that type of mindset, keep him away from my team. Uh, I don't want him anywhere near us. I I think it's interesting because we'll see if he gets that offer for Supermax because I don't know if – I don't think they're – I don't know if Toronto's going to offer him that. So we'll see how that goes. Now, yeah, we went through your roster. So let's talk about Trey Young and how do you feel he stacks up with um, the top point guards in the league, and why do you? Th- I know you see Trey Young as that dude and one of the top two or you know, like guard, you know, point guards in the league. Um, yes, you guys heard me correctly. So, share with me and share with the audience why you think Trey Young is that top two or top point guard, or or at least in the East. Like, give me your argument for Trey Young. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. In terms of the Eastern Conference, I think there's there's no question, right? Trey Young is by mm-hmm. far uh, the best point guard in the East. Like, it's not even... Even above there. Harden if he's there? If Harden's there, yeah, yeah, he's still better. I mean, especially in this this point in time, absolutely. Prime Harden, that's a different story, right? But mm-hmm. uh, at this point in time, Harden is not the player that he used to be. Um, and mm-hmm. as well as, like, ever since the rule changed a couple years ago with the, the foul-baiting rules... He just hasn't looked the same. Uh, so, yeah, even with James Harden, I still say Trey Young is by and large the best point guard in the East. Um, if you look at the landscape of all the other top Eastern Conference point guards, you know, you got, uh, you know, Tyrese Halliburton from the Pacers. You got uh, what's his name? Uh, I guess Drew Holiday for for the Bucks. You got um, Jalen Brunson from the Knicks. And none of these guys, like they're promising young players. LaMelo Ball is also really promising, but they just don't, A, have the resume that Trey Young has, and they don't have the accolades nor the eye test. When you look at the eye test, like people are propping up Tyrese Halliburton to be like, you know, this all elite point guard, but he's never even been to the playoffs once, Malika. Like, let's give us some mm-hmm. time. Um, mm-hmm. And his, his yeah, he's, his team just hasn't been all that good ever, you know, ever. Uh, even with Sacramento, obviously I'll cut him some slack because he was a, a rookie and this and that. But yeah, he just hasn't done anything. Jalen Brunson, he's never even been an all-star or an all-NBA player ever in his career. Um, Drew Holiday's never been uh, like a number one option on any team that's done significant. He he might have been like a number one option in, in New Orleans. Uh, he's a great defensive uh, guard. That's, he's a great I, defensive like, guard. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, but, you know, if Trey Young and Giannis Antetokounmpo teamed up, they would win five rings in a row. No question. So um, in terms of when you look at what Trey Young does for his team, being the number one option, being the primary scorer, being the primary facilitator and just doing everything, you know, getting opposing teams in foul trouble. Trey Young is the best at that. I think he's the best combination of just uh scoring output as well as playmaking production from that point guard uh, position so in the east trey young is by far the number one point guard in the east then when you transition to the west that's where it gets a little bit tricky right because there's a lot of great point guards in the west you got the curries of the world luca and damian lillard's 
uh, Kyrie Irvings, et cetera. The only two players, the only one definitive player that I could say is better than Trey Young at right now is, is Steph Curry, right? Steph Curry is kind of the cream of the crop, in my opinion. Not Luca? Not Luca. Steph Curry. Okay. I mean, Malika, you got, I mean, Luca couldn't even make the play in. He wasn't even in the playoffs last year. That's true, but yeah, look at the team he has. And the West is not like that. The West is stronger than the East. It's a whole different, you know, you have stronger mm-hmm. teams in the West. I, don't, I think I think the West might be more top heavy, but I think the East is better as like top to bottom, in my opinion. Right. I think. The really? East, yeah. The okay. East is super tough. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, matter of fact, let me let me just look up something real quick, because I had this conversation with a buddy of mine uh, in the middle of last season. So when you look at the standings uh, in the West from last year. Right. So. Like the Pelicans, the Pelicans, uh, the Lakers were the seven seed. They only won 43 games last year in the West, right? 43 games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the Hawks were the seven seed. They won 41. But when you look, it, I'd say it's pretty even because when you look at the Thunder, the Pelicans, the Timberwolves, you know, they're, are they that much better like than the Bulls, the Heat, than the Raptors, et cetera, you know? So, I think it's I think it's pretty even. Obviously, they got Denver, the the defending champions. But I mean, when you look at the East, you got the Bucks, you got the Celtics, the 76ers are kind of the top three main teams from last year compared to the West top three teams, Denver, Memphis and Sacramento. Right. Um, I don't think you would ever consider Sacramento or Memphis an actual legitimate contender last year or this year. And any any of the top three teams in the East could have won. Uh, a championship this year, right? Boston could have won. Milwaukee could have easily won. Philadelphia could have won. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's pretty even in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And okay, that, that, okay. I mean, that gives me a different perspective because my viewpoint um, was all, is all, I'm an East, I love the East Coast and I love the East teams, but I always feel like the West, I'm staying up late because I want to see some of these West matchups. Um, with LaMelo, I think this season could be a good one for him with Miles Bridges back in the lineup. You got PJ coming back. Um, you have – I think he has a, a – if he's healthy, I think the Hornets can have a decent season. Um, and But we'll see how it goes. Also, Tyrese Halliburton, um, this could be – We I say this every year. I am a, I am one of those Tyrese – I am a fan of his. I like watching him play. Oh, you're part of the Halley we'll Hive. See, yeah, I'm part of the Halley Hive. I'm just curious to how this season is going to go for him. I, Indiana, I, it was my impression that they made some moves that can make them a little interesting. So I'm curious to see what – so it could be viewing-wise competitive. And then you have Orlando. I feel like they're always just lurking there. I think Paolo is really good, but we'll see how they stack up. So, you you know, we'll see. Um, We'll see how that shakes up because you see the Hawks as a top six. So, mm-hmm. you basically, you're seeing um, Boston, Philly, um, Milwaukee, um, and the Knicks would be somewhere up there. You guys... And there's another Cleveland. team. I'm sorry. Cleveland. Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. This glare is killing me. I need to figure out this glare situation. Um. And let's talk about 
your coaching staff. How how do you feel about I know like with the Hawks fans the last few years, you know, you guys weren't exactly happy with your head coach. How do you feel about your coaching staff now? Like what are how what are your feelings about them as as um yeah, the number one number one fan and content creator for the Hawks? Yeah, I mean in terms of the, the coaching staff, um I love it, right? Quinn Snyder is one, you know, I think he's like, this would be his first full season with you guys. And mm-hmm. I I mean, yeah, you guys have to love it. But, you know, I just wanted, <laughs> I just wanted to formally hear from Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Quinn Snyder. Uh, I think if you talk to other players around the league that have actually played for Quinn Snyder, like Donovan Mitchell and other players like that, they only say great things, right? Um, he's a, he's a player's coach, not in the sense of, Oh, I'm gonna let you just do whatever you want. But he know he knows how to connect with players. Uh, that was one of the main things that Donovan Mitchell said. He's also really good at developing players, um, younger guys. So we do have a couple of younger guys, especially on our bench, that that mm-hmm. are in the second, mm-hmm. third year. Uh, but Quinn Snyder, he's great, right? Uh, I think the biggest thing, the biggest knock on Quinn Snyder from outsiders would be, well, he's never, you know, you know, made it that far. He's never had great success in the postseason, right? He's had great regular season success. He's led the the Utah Jazz to a, a couple of number one seeds. Uh, he's made it, you know, to the second round a few times when the West was really good, right? In the years past, I think the West was absolutely way better than the East. Um, and but look at his team with with Utah. Like he had Donovan Mitchell, and then his second best player was Rudy Gobert, who is just not that good of a player, in my opinion. So I think Quinn, uh, this is going to be probably the most talented team that he's ever had to coach with and to play with. Uh, And I'm really excited. Last year, he came at the very end of the season when there was only 20 games left in the regular season. Um, And Mm -hmm. everything that I've heard and everything that I've seen around the front office, that was really just kind of like a, uh, a trial period, right? He was really, he wasn't really implementing his full offense. He just wanted to see what this roster had, what the, who the players he wanted to keep, who he liked and who he thought maybe wasn't going to be a good fit. Um, so I'm really excited with the full off season with Quinn Snyder to see his high powered, you know, a lot of three point shooting, running gun style offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm excited for it. So I really have high hopes. That is one of the main reasons why I see the Hawks being a top six seed this year is because of Quinn Snyder being at the helm. Um, Cause you know, in years past we've had Nate, we've had Lloyd Pierce and they just haven't been very. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You guys have been going through it coach wise for sure. How do you feel about his assistance that he's bring that, you know, he brought in, like you have Igor um, and Igor. I don't know, like if he was fully able to take reign on, with the Nets um, offense um, because I was expecting more out of Igor and I'm just not sure like what, what, whether he was really given the offensive ring. So we'll be curious to see um, if he's able to do that with the Hawks. Um, Cause I didn't see the punch. I thought I was going to see at times um, consistently, but it will be curious to see what the, what the Hawks, what you guys do this season. Um, I'm a DeJounte fan, um, so I'm curious to see what he does with the pieces that are there. Um, so that's the coach, one of the coaches I am familiar with. So I was curious to how you felt about um, some of the other assistants and Igor as well. Yeah, yeah, I- Igor definitely. I think I think Quinn Snyder actually did a really good job um, kind of uh, 
crafting his his assistant squad. Uh, Eagle is one of them. We also have uh, Mike Bray, who also is yeah. a long-term veteran assistant co- or head coach. You know, he he was the head coach for Notre Dame basketball. Uh, he was one of the most winningest coaches ever in college um, basketball history. Uh, I think he's going to make a strong impact. We ha- also have Brittany Donaldson, who yeah. came from Toronto. So shout out to Brittany. She's actually the very first um women coach ever to be on the Atlanta Hawks coaching staff so we kind of oh, made wow. okay yeah. That's awesome. yeah she was the first yeah female coach either whether a head coach or an assistant coach to be uh, a part of this organization so uh, I'm excited about her she came from Detroit where she kind of uh, was there for the last couple of years she was the assistant one of the assistants there as well as the director of coaching analytics so um yeah she has really good insights into just you know data analysis basketball operations etc so i think her her mind and uh paired up with some other assistant coaches uh is going to be really good for us i'm excited i'm i'm excited too um what about steve keeks steve clee i think it looks like his name is Steve Clee, yes, Clyde. It's actually, it's actually pronounced Clyde. Steve Clyde. Clyde. Yes. Okay, cool. Him. Yeah, he cool. he joined back uh, earlier this year, actually. Uh, okay. So he was actually already. Uh, on already the Hawks. Yeah, he okay. was on the Hawks, or was was he on the Hawks? I think I don't remember. Actually, I don't remember exactly when he joined. I feel like it was like February, March, and I don't know remember exactly when we fired Nate McMillan. But yeah, mm-hmm. he from what I know about him, he was a former overseas coach. He coached uh, in it was either Italy or Portugal for one of their basketball teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he spent time. The reason why he's on the coaching staff now is because he actually was an assistant uh, in, in Utah with Quinn Snyder. So obviously, Coach Snyder probably liked him enough to, to bring him to Atlanta. So, yeah, I think um, he, this this new coaching staff has a mixture of coaches that Quinn Snyder has familiarity with in Utah where they were successful as well as some some new faces maybe that he's not hasn't worked with but I think um he's done a good job kind of just formulating a, a well-balanced coaching staff and when we look at um your front office um how do you feel about your GM this year and over the last you know the progression of your front office do you feel like they have a plan and are you behind that plan? It seems like you're happy with the team now. So um, you're probably, you know, behind the GM. So I wanted you to talk a little about that. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm excited for the the front office. So in terms of like ownership, I'm not going to get into to like the ownership, like Tony Wrestler and some of the other uh, Tony Wrestler. That was going to be my next question. So you don't want to even buy. Uh, we, 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 can, we can dive into that actually. But in terms mm-hmm. of like the um, – like basketball operations portion, right? Like our GM, our assistant GM, et cetera. Uh, As you know, Landry Fields, he is uh, our GM. He took over the reins kind of like uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, So I'm excited to see Landry. He's still super young. He might even be like either the youngest or second youngest general manager in all of the NBA. Uh, He's still pretty young. He's in his 30s still. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to see uh, what Landry Fields does, um, he he kind of pushed some of the chips in and, and kind of made a name for himself when he made that Dejounte trade uh, last year. Um, he he's more, he, I feel like he's more in tune with the modern game given his age. Uh, mm-hmm. So I feel like that's might give him some new insights that this front office hasn't seen uh, to to bring in certain players and and what coaches to bring in, etc. I know Landry was really instrumental in bringing uh, Coach Quinn Snyder 
midway or, you know, towards the end of last season. Uh, and that was largely in part because of our assistant general manager, who is now Kyle Corver. Shout out to killer Kyle Corver. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, ever in the NBA. So yeah, Kyle Corver, he was actually a player under coach Snyder uh, back when Quinn Snyder was an assistant for us. I don't know if you knew that, but he was an assistant for us. Uh, mm-hmm. when Mike, Budenholzer, Mike Budenholzer was the head coach. So Kyle Corver had great things to say yeah. about Quinn Snyder. Um, he's obviously seen what he's been able to do as a head coach in Utah. And, you know, him and Landry kind of worked together and they scooped him up. Because as you saw, as soon as we hired Quinn Snyder, uh, a bunch of other teams started firing their coaches, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, Doc mm-hmm. Rivers was fired. Uh, Nick Nurse was fired, et cetera. Yeah, it was like this coaching exodus. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, yeah. Um, so I know Quinn Snyder would have been at the top of many teams' lists, and I'm just happy. Timing we- definitely helped you guys, for exactly. sure. Exactly. Um, he would have had, had a selection. You know, he would have had a choice. So that, that's how that that has to feel good as a team. I mean, as the Nets, we have Sean Mark still, um, <laughs> and we have Joe Sy. It is what it is. As it is, what it is. And, and we move on. Now, yeah. your owner. Now, how do you feel about ownership? Um, and you don't sound like extremely excited, but let's talk no, about. No, no. I mean, I'm personally, you know, I'm I'm balanced, right? So, and I also. Uh, in a way, like work for the team. I cover the team. So I, I want to keep like my personal bias out of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, but, understood. I mean, in terms of like ownership, Tony Wrestler is our is our kind of majority principal owner. Yeah. And we have a few minority uh, owners like Grant Hill. Grant Hill, yeah. Uh, who else? Grant One of Hill. my favorite humans to play the, that ever played the game. His yeah, book, Grant Hill was great. You know, but, his book but was amazing. His book yeah. was amazing. But go ahead. I feel like Grant Hill before his injury, he could have been really special. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Grant Hill is one of the other minority owners. We mm-hmm. also have uh, Jesse Itzler, who who um, he's just like an entrepreneur guy. Uh, Sarah Blakely, who's actually the owner of Spanx, CEO of Spanx. She's also one of the minority owners for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, we have a bunch of minority owners, but but Tony Ressler obviously is the main head honcho. Um, I know a lot of people, a lot of Hawks fans from what I've heard, uh, are upset that maybe they will label him as kind of like a cheap owner because we're not willing to go over the luxury tax and bring in and spend money on, on certain players. Um, but it's tough, right? You know, if as an owner, you kind of have to look at everything holistically. You can't yeah. just spend a lot of money and, and get these players just for the sake of it. You have really have to pull those levers when you really think your team is in win now mode, is in contention mode. So We'll see what happens, but Tony Wrestler is kind of the main head honcho. Uh, Grant Hill, I know, is on the board. Uh, and then Tony Wrestler's wife, Jamie Gertz, who, if you keep up with the draft, yeah. she's always the girl that does uh, uh, pulls out our, our balls back when we were in the lottery. So that's Jamie Gertz. Um, but our she's executive as well. Yeah, she's yeah. an actress. Yeah. yeah, she is. Yeah, she was actually in one of my favorite movies, Twister, back in the day. So yeah, yeah. Main, uh, actress there. But in, and then we have like our executive team, right? Uh, our CEO is Steve Coonan, really, really cool guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's kind of been very innovative in terms of like different marketing strategies and, and how to connect with like more of like a millennial crowd. They they did a, a survey like a couple of years ago just to kind of see what demographic of people were coming to the games and who he wanted to cater that towards. And he noticed, obviously, it was a lot of millennial age people you know people my age who are in their 30s 
you know, mid, you know, low to mid thirties or, you know, in their high, you know, late twenties would be like kind of their ideal target market. So he did a great job kind of just uh, revamping the stadium, revamping, you know, getting uh, butts in the seats. So, yeah, I mean, all in all, I'm happy with our ownership and our executive team. Um, and yeah. hopefully, what, what was that? I said good. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you know, when the time comes, you know, uh, Tony's going to pay up and, and get over that luxury tax if, if we're ready. So hopefully that's sooner rather than later. And with this new CBA that we have um, in the league, it's going to be interesting to see how the Hawks navigate moving forward. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with mid-level players because right now Hawks is one of the few teams that are considered like what contenders that have room. Because a lot of, um, you know, you had a lot of these guys signing minimums to get with get on the contender because they were already at the Supermax. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Now, one of the segments I love to do is the rewind where I have people and you're going to give me your favorite um, Hawks team ever. What is your favorite Hawks team? Which year and why? Oh God, that's that's a great question, Malika. Um, ooh. So personally, I mean, I I got a couple, right? So I don't know if I can pinpoint an exact favorite, but out of you can give me, you can give me like your top two. Okay, okay, okay. Um, a lot of people are gonna say probably that 2014-2015 season, right? When we had uh, four All Stars that year, we were the number one seed. We had Jeff Teague, Kyle Korver in our backcourt. We had Damari Carroll. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul Sapp and Al Horford. That was our starting five. And unfortunately, we got swept in the, the Eastern Conference Finals by LeBron and the Cavs. Uh, but that was a really exciting year. You know, that we were the first team in NBA history to go 17-0 and uh, consecutively, right? So in the month of January that year in 2015, we actually won all 17 games in that month. So that was crazy. Uh, that's, that's like an honorable mention. But my top two favorite teams definitely – the year we, you know, a couple of years ago when we made the ECFs, we took the Bucks to six, uh, and we and Trey Young unfortunately injured his his ankle on that referee's foot. Uh, that was unfortunate, but yeah, you know that that season was probably the funnest season I've ever had watching the Hawks. Just watching this team grow, there was a lot of great moments from that that playoff run. Trey Young really ascended his status into stu- superstardom with a you know performance at MSG. Then he goes to Philly and and we beat Philly. Uh, you know Kevin Herder had that monster twenty seven point performance in Game Seven. He'll forever be immortalized in, in Hawks history book. Uh, Danilo Gallinari stripping Joel Embiid uh, pretty much in the last seconds of the game to ice it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Trey Young's 42-point performance against Milwaukee in game one. So, yeah, in my opinion, that was probably my favorite season to watch, my favorite team. Um, and that really what what was was crazy for me watching that because a lot of people thought we were going to lose not only to the Knicks. You know, that was like a 50-50. I saw a lot of people saying that the Knicks were going to win that year. We, of course, gentlemen swept them. Uh, and then we beat Philly, who everyone, every single person, every analyst, every content mm-hmm. creator, everyone said – Philly was going to beat us in four, you know, five tops. Um, so that just felt good. But my second favorite team was probably the 08 
Atlanta Hawks when we had Mike Bibby, Joe Johnson, uh, Josh Smith, Al Horford was a rookie that year, and we took Boston. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. We were the A seed that year, and then Boston was the one seed. That was the only year they won the championship, and we took them to seven games as the as the really you know A seed. Um, so that was really exciting. That was the famous uh, you know Zaza Pachulia moment when he got almost got in a fight with Kevin Garnett. Um, so yeah, that was really exciting. Um, those two would probably be my two favorite seasons and teams I've watched because Joe Johnson growing up, he was my, my favorite, like my all time favorite Hawks I player. I get it. I definitely get it. Yeah. I saw Joe, he was a killer before Joe Johnson. It was like Jason Terry. But once I got into like middle school, middle school is Joe Johnson and was, was just a killer for us, middle school, high school. So I'm going to give you my, um, in terms of the Hawks. You know I'm a historian, so we're going to go back to the Dominique years. Of course. There were a few years of the Hawks where you guys had back-to-back 51 -back seasons. That was 87 to 88, and then 88 to 89. Those are really good years, really good Dominique years. Um, Spud Webb. It's going to get past those damn Celtics, Malika. Yeah, I mean, the Celtics and the Lakers dominated. And the, the Sixers at the beginning of the 80s, but you know, like they were when they were going to the finals, um, more than the Celtics at the beginning of the eighties. But yeah, the Celtics were the number one team in the East. Um, and unfortunately for Dominique, you know, like yeah, but he was people knew Dominique was a great. He could have been a Laker. You know what I mean? Like they had, you know, like Jerry West was choosing between Dominique and um james worthy you know what i mean like so um but dominique spud webb you had doc rivers on that team cliff levinston on that team who's a former um who played for the bulls i forgot wh whether it was after that or i forgot the trace of this but you know watching those teams i mean dominique was just the human highlight reel like watching him those years you know like i love watching him as a young you know, watching him as a player, eventually he ran into injuries. Um, but I think that's what cost him, you know, like getting the top 50, which he should have been on. Um, but I really love those years of the Hawks watching them. Reggie Theus was there. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, they had they had some they had some players, and I know you guys still respect the history, um, and you honor and respect Dominique Wilkins, which um, which is great. So I, I always like to highlight teams from the past, you know, some of the rosters from the past. Um, but appreciate you for giving me your, give me your favorite team. So as we close out, like, what do you, you know, to, you could tell the people, like, what do you do with the Hawks? Like, do you attend all the games? Do you, you know, you have right, I know you have right ups to the games during the season. So you or your team are going through, going to each of the games, you're posting, you know, the recaps. And um, so how do you people, like, what do you do with Hawks Fan TV? Yeah, how, how can they follow everything you do? Uh-huh. So, yeah, um, Hawks Fan TV, we are basically, uh, we try to give content for, for the fans, by the fans, right? Yeah. We give all mm -hmm. insights and looks and you know, we're just kind of unapologetically us, right? Uh, I know on Twitter, I might ruffle a lot, a lot of feathers uh, on the on the timeline and people might not agree with me, but <laughs> it just is what it is, right? I think that's what Twitter's yep. for. Um, yep. I think when you look at the landscape 
across like other NBA or just fan bases in general, there's always a mm -hmm. couple of kind of, uh, you know, content creators that, that are that voice. And I feel like the Hawks just didn't have that. Um, so it, it originally started off as just kind of a, um, passion project of mine where I would talk about the Hawks and, and write about their mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. games, post-game analysis. So we do have a website, hawksfantv.com, yeah. where we, you know, write articles about the team, any rumors, any trade rumors, uh, roster moves, etc. Um, so we have you that. Guys have photographers too. Um, do you got people taking shots as well, like in that, with the write-ups? Uh, so we don't have any like media guys, like we don't have uh, any photographers or videographers actually at the games. The The closest thing we'll do is if one of either myself or someone on my team is actually at the game, then we'll just take video right. right. on, on our phone and use that. Um, but yeah, you know, we also work with the team. So we're one of the credentialed media members. I'm actually going to media day uh, next month. Uh, to to just talk about the team and, and ask some of the players awesome. some questions. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's, it's our second year in a row doing that, so we're we're looking forward to it. But yeah, it's really just you know Hawks fan TV. It's it's just a voice for the fans by the fans to give a bunch of different perspectives on the team, keep them up to date, and make sure that they're in the know of what this team is up to, as well as giving our predictions, our analysis, and all. We welcome all sports debates. A lot of Hawks fans have different perspectives and stances on certain players and coaches and we welcome all of that so if you guys want to look at uh, check our stuff out you can go to hawksfantv.com you can follow all of us on our socials which is basically at hawksfantv on twitter instagram uh and our website do you do youtube uh so youtube is kind of on a on a hold right now uh we we've been really focusing on the website and just uh, doing Twitter spaces and things like that. So mm -hmm. uh, we also have podcasts open on on you know Spotify, iTunes, etc. That's also at HawksFanTV.com or at HawksFanTV. So yeah, that's where you can find us. Very simple. It's it's a unified name. HawksFanTV is for everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to the the new season. And in, and I I can't attest the HawksFanTV is very active during the season. You'll <laughs> find them starting you know Twitter spaces after the games or on an off day to really rant about what's going on with the team. Um, they're very active. So, um, well, if you're on, I guess it's called X now, but forever Twitter. If you're on Twitter and you're a Hawks fan, pull up Hawks fan TV, you, you know, great follow. Um, so thank you, Alex, for being here and for giving us your time and breaking down the Hawks. I'm looking forward to watching you guys next season. Um, when they play my nets, I might be at that game. Who knows? Um, those games. Um, but thanks for being here. And um, any last comments for people before we close out? Yeah, no, just thank you so much, Malika, for your time. Uh, I, I really enjoyed speaking with you. And and obviously, uh, we, we talk a lot and banter uh, on Twitter. So I'm looking forward to all of our upcoming conversations. And best of luck to to your nets. And also to your Hornets. I know you you were kind of a Hornets fan, but you're not anymore. But the Hornets should be fun no, to watch. I'm, I'm going – I'm too invested. Like, I've been a <laughs> – you know, like, I will say um, – let me pause for a minute. Let me just – because I'm going to have to edit this out. This is not related to the Hawks. So um, let me just say real quick, um, have a good night, everyone. Thanks for being here. Um, thanks, Hawks Fan TV, for being here. And uh, – have a good night, everyone. Yeah, thank you, everyone.